Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to see you. Great to worship with you. I wanted to start off by saying what a great week last week was at Kids Camp and just want to thank uh, all of you that played a role, whether you were just praying or whether you were participating in any way. Uh, thank you for making it a wonderful week. I was able to get around to all the campuses because I don't know if you know that we had it at the Fort Worth campus, West campus, and for the first time at the South campus. And so uh, amazing things and uh, love to just hear those stories as we continue to hear uh, wonderful things uh, that happened at kids camp. So uh, way to go. Thank you. Uh, praise God. And we'll continue to follow up on those things. Also want to say congratulations to the TCU baseball team for the College World Series. Uh, they did a great job. Yeah. Now, I think I know why they had success at the College World Series. And that's because I texted Kirk Sarloos and said, you have one Baylor Bear rooting for you. Okay. And I think that really inspired them and propelled them to those uh, wins there. Uh, no, so they, they did a great job. But having baseball on the brain, uh, it made me think about the different kind of pitches that pitchers throw to batters in baseball. Now, I, I'm certainly no baseball expert, but I, I think you'll be able to relate to it at least two main pitches in baseball. The first one is a fastball, and it reacts the same way that you would expect it to react. Uh, it, it goes fast. Uh, it, it's a fastball, but the fastball usually, as I understand it, it follows the same trajectory. It's very, it's very straight. It leaves point A to point B, but it goes in a straight line. That is, is one main primary pitch in the pitcher's arsenal. The second one is a curve. And what, what threw me for a loop was a curve doesn't necessarily curve to the right or to the left. It actually curves down. And so it doesn't follow the trajectory of a fastball. Fastball goes in a straight line. A curve actually has a top over spin and it actually drops right at the last minute causing the batter to swing over the ball. You follow me as that, that far? Okay, it, it, it makes a sudden break at the very end that throws the batter for a loop, which is why curveball has become an idiomatic expression uh, in, in our world. When, when something happens to us that's unexpected and we say, you know, life threw you a curve. You know, I wasn't expecting that curveball. What, what does that mean? I thought I knew everything was, you know, everything was pretty straightforward, but then all of a sudden everything dropped. Everything took an unexpected turn. Life threw me a curve. And this happens to us all the time. When, when we get thrown a curve, life throws them all the time, whether it's you're in a career and you think you're headed in one particular direction. You see where you are at point A and you're expecting to move to point B, straight line, and then all of a sudden uh, something drops and you're thrown a curve and, and you're, you're let go or you're moved to a different department or you're moved to a different city or, or state or maybe even country. Life throws you a curve. Or maybe uh, you're in a relationship and you're really excited about it. it. You're hopeful. It seems to be going in a good direction. And then all of a sudden you're thrown a curve and that person moves on. And, and they move on in an unexpected, you didn't see it coming. You thought everything was headed in one direction. You, you didn't see that. that that's why life uh, threw you a curve. Or you have a family member that all of a sudden falls ill 
or, or has some difficulties. And, and, and they, they start going down and you have to move all of your attention to help focus on them, to get them to a, a healthy spot because they need your attention and care. Life uh, threw you a curve. And you were moved in an unexpected way. And you go, how, how do we respond when life throws us a curve? And even sometimes God throws us those curves. God moves us in unexpected ways. And we go, I, I don't know how to handle that because why would God do that? Why would God throw me a curve? Why would God move me unexpectedly? And sometimes God moves us unexpectedly when he mo- literally moves us, moves you into a different state, leads you in a different direction. Or he moves you to do something that's out of the ordinary or, or out, out of your comfort zone. Or, you know, we might talk about it in Christian circles. You know, he, he was leading me to do X or leading me to this particular person or place or to do this thing. Now, why does God move us unexpectedly? And what do we do when life throws us a curve? That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 26 through 40. It's page 917, 917. If you're opening one of the blue Bibles, please, you do need a copy of the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, this, let this be your reminder. Jen and I will buy you a Bible promise. It would be the best. We would love, love, love to do that. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you need to know that you can know God yourself and he can speak to you through his word. And we want you to know that. It'd be a great thing that we would give to you. But if you don't have one right now, open that blue Bible to page 917. We're obviously continuing our series called Unexpected as we walk through the book of Acts. And remember, the reason why we're doing the book of Acts is because we're emphasizing reach this year, where we're talking about reaching the 800,000 in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus. And it's a part of our discipleship endeavor. Remember, be one, make one, reach one. Be a disciple disciple, make a disciple, reach those who do not know or walk with Jesus. So that's why we're studying the book of Acts. And last week we started this new series, Unexpected, because we saw now God is moving in very unexpected ways. And I know it was unexpected at the beginning of Acts, but now some crazy things are are going on. Not just the people that were following Jesus now see the resurrected Jesus and continue to follow him, which is kind of the first part of Acts. Now, God is using unexpected means and unexpected people to spread the good news about Jesus. And last week we saw Philip, who was moved by persecution out of Jerusalem, and God begins to spread the gospel to Samaria. And we showed you that last week. Samaria is a region just north of Jerusalem, and you need to have that context. I'm going to show you a lot of maps today because it's going to be important because you're going to see God move in very unexpected ways through an unexpected person again, and that is Philip. And so what I want to show you today is a curveball that God actually throws Philip. Something that he probably did not expect, at least if I were Philip, I wouldn't have expected it. And I want to show you this curveball that God throws him and why, eventually you'll see why God throws him this curve and how Philip handles it. And then we'll draw some applications to how do we handle those curveballs in our lives when God moves us uh, unexpectedly. So we're going to begin there in verse 26. And I want you to see that Philip was moved unexpectedly from a place of prominence to a place of obscurity. 
Philip was moved unexpectedly from a place of prominence to a place of obscurity. Now, I just want to remind you very quickly last week, and you can go back and review it. But remember, as Saul persecuted the church, uh, Philip and the rest of the Christians, the apostles stay in Jerusalem. The re- some of the other disciples, they get pushed out. And that's why Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to s- share the gospel there. But remember, Philip is making a splash in Samaria. It it says that he is performing these signs and wonders. He's proclaiming the gospel, and it says that everyone's paying attention to him. I mean, mean, he's got a captive audience, and it says that joy is filling the city, and I think joy is spilling out into other regions there in Samaria. I mean, if things are going right, then that's what's going on there in Acts chapter 8 as Philip goes to Samaria. And then all of a sudden, a curveball is thrown at Philip. Look at verse 26 in the first part of 27. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. Everything is going right. Remember, this is Philip. Yes, he was chosen as one of the the seven to help serve in the soup kitchen. But now he goes from serving widows, you know, bread and, and food. And now he's like this superstar apostle, this meteoric rise. I mean, this is like the stuff that they make movies out of, you know. This is like Rocky or Rudy Rudiger, you know. Like he, he's like, everybody's chanting his name, Philip, Philip. And then this angel comes to him and says, hey, seems like everything's going well here. I'm going to send you, God wants you to go to a desert place, this place of obscurity. That, that, that's totally in an unknown place for him. I mean, it, it, this isn't like a place that's, that's near and around Samaria where, you know, maybe his reputation had spread or maybe his fame had spread. This was an unknown place where he wouldn't have been known and that doesn't seem like anybody's there. I'll show you where this is. Here, here's another map for you. So you can see, it's, he said to go south on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's moving into a, a new region, into the Judean region, but it's a road that goes south. So he's going south. So remember, he was up north in Samaria where, you know, he's doing wonderful things. Where they're, they're writing the script of the movie about him. And now he says to go into this road that goes down to Gaza. And let me show you what this place would have looked like because the angel said it's this desert place. Now, this is the green that you can see in this picture is very generous. That must be springtime, okay? Because, I mean, when I've been there, I've never seen any green. But, but this is what the Judean wilderness looks like. And those of you who have been to Israel, when we take you to the Wadi Kilt, this is what we're looking at. You need to go to Israel. If you haven't been to Israel, go to Israel. But this is what it looks like. Now think about it. He's in this, this metropolitan area sharing the gospel. Everybody's here and it's moving and shaking. Things are happening. And it says, go there. A place of prominence to a place of obscurity. Like, you want to talk about a curveball. And you say, well, Cody, an angel 
you know, told him that. So, so he, he must have, have done that. Now, I, I don't know about you. I don't know if an angel has ever, you know, talked to you. I have one talk to me every day. She's blonde-headed, about five foot five. She's at the West Campus. If you're at the West Campus, make sure she heard that part, okay? Uh, now, I've never had an angel talk to me. But this angel shows up and says, Philip, you go. Now, just, sorry, this is Cody's brain real fast. If I'm Philip, do you, I would probably say, angel, why don't you go? Like, you know, things are going pretty good for me here. You know, why, you seem to have, have an in with God. Why don't you go tell those people? Why doesn't God send angels to tell everybody that? Angels have never experienced grace. I don't, need, I don't want to get into angelology. Uh, we, we might get into that next year. But uh, angels have never experienced grace. That's why he sends people who do understand grace, who have been forgiven of their sins, who know how to reach people who need grace. And so he sends Philip on, on this road. And, and this angel delivers this message. And, and how does Philip respond? It says, and he rose and went. Notice at least what Luke, you know, records. No discussion. It's just like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Here we go. Which has me asking the question, and I want to ask you the question, but as I was preparing, are you willing to be moved? Are you willing to be moved? Maybe, maybe literally, but maybe emotionally, maybe, maybe spiritually, are, are you willing to say, God, I am yours? When I asked myself this question, I was reminded of Isaiah's interaction in Isaiah chapter 6 with God. When he sees God in all his glory. And what, what Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, is he says, woe is me. I am, I, I am lost I am a man of unclean lips. And then an angel touches his lips, cleanses him in, in a sense. And then the Lord says, hey, I need somebody to go and be my messenger. Who will I send? And Isaiah goes, here I am, send me. Why, why is he so willing to go? It's because he knows what God has given him. <laughs> he knows that he has been cleansed. He's willing to be moved because he knows what God has done for him. Sometimes when we're not willing to be moved, we don't know what God has done for us. And when we know the life that he's given us, we go, God, my, my life is your life. Move me where you want. Use me however you want because any life that I have has been given to me by you. Are you willing to be moved? Philip was willing to be moved even when it didn't make any sense. You see, but what he doesn't know, but what we know as we read on, is that God was not moving him to a place. He was moving him toward a person. He was moving him toward a person. You see, Philip was moved unexpectedly to explain to this person God's plan of salvation. Philip was moved unexpectedly to explain God's plan of salvation. Philip is on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza uh, through the Judean wilderness, and he's, I mean, 
he's wandering around in this desert, and I mean, there's, there's literally nothing there, and he happens to wonder upon this procession, and that's where we pick up here at the end of verse 27. Uh, follow along with me. It says, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over, the spirit moves him, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then, I'm skipping to verse 34, then Philip opened his mouth and began with that scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip is wandering through the desert, wanders upon this procession, and in this procession is an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I want to explain just a couple of things. Uh, when it says Ethiopian, it's probably not from, he probably wasn't from modern-day Ethiopia. It's probably from Nubia. We have a, a, a region that would have been south of Egypt. Probably in modern-day Sudan is probably where he would have been from. But as you can see, that is a long journey up to Jerusalem. And I just want you to get that and put that in the back of your brain. So this Ethiopian uh, person, he is a court official. He, it says he was a treasurer over Candace's uh, money. And you go, who's Candace? Can Candace was a title for the, what they called the queen mother. It's kind of like a pharaoh. Pharaoh was a, a, a title. Okay, Candace is, is a title, the, the ruler, the queen ruler. And this Ethiopian eunuch was in charge of all her treasury. He, he was her CFO. That, that's what he was in charge of, okay? And he was a eunuch, okay? This is very, and this is going to be key to some of the things we're going to talk about. A eunuch being, he was a surgically castrated male, okay? You guys understand what that means. Please, don't make me explain more, okay? <laughs> now, eunuch, actually... It, Interestingly enough, in Greek, it's a combination of terms that means to guard over the bed. Um, and, and usually, it, that, that was, uh, not usually, but sometimes, uh, being a eunuch was required for royal service. To get that close to a queen, somebody would be required to be a eunuch. And so that's what's going on here is this is a very trusted man in Candace's uh, affairs, He's very trusted, he's well-respected, he's well-to-do. Uh, he has this procession, he has his own chariot that he can welcome Philip into. He has his own copy of the scriptures, at least the copy of Isaiah. Now to have a scroll during those days that an individual could use and take with them, I mean, was very high dollar, very, very high dollar. And so this is a person that has a lot of means, has a lot of respect to make that vacation trip, that pilgrimage. He has a lot of vacation time that he's able to, to take off. This man has everything that this world could offer, yet he is still searching for more. And he goes up to Jerusalem to worship. 
And then he's leaving Jerusalem. And as he's leaving Jerusalem, he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. Now, that's the part that I left out there that you can look at in, in the copy of your scriptures. But in Isaiah 53, it's the fourth of the four servant songs in the Isaiah. Okay? This particular servant song he's reading from Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant. Of this servant that's going to come along and he's going to serve Israel. And the way that he's going to serve him is he's going to offer himself as a sacrifice, even though he is innocent. And actually, it alludes to this servant will be resurrected as a reward for his service to Israel. Sound familiar? Okay, good. So that's what this servant is reading. And Philip comes alongside of him and hears this man reading. Why is he reading aloud? Actually, tradition tells us that most people back then did read aloud. They didn't read silently. And so he hears him reading this servant song and Philip is moved by the Spirit. So first he was told by an angel. Now he's moved by the Spirit to come alongside that chariot. And he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I? How can I unless somebody explains it? Now here's Cody's question. Why is he reading Isaiah 53 after leaving Jerusalem? I mean, it's a pretty random passage to put in there. Of Why is he reading that? Cody's theory, Cody's theory only, okay? I think the reason why that Ethiopian eunuch, I think he was a Yahweh worshiper. But in that servant song, if you continue to read, what is here is Isaiah 53, but if you continue to read that servant song, if you go into Isaiah chapter 56, that's a part of that same servant song, here's what it says in Isaiah 56, and it'll come up on the screen. It says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who chooses the things that please me and holds fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, and better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This great hope for the eunuch, not only a eunuch, but a foreigner. You see, here's something that I didn't tell you. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, the law forbade eunuchs from going into the assembly of God. Eunuchs could not enter, could not go and worship the Lord. And so here you have this eunuch in Nubia, hundreds of miles away, who reads this, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was written hundreds of years before this, like 700 years before him. And he reads this and he goes, there is hope for the eunuch. <laughs> there is hope for me. I know that the law, he would know the law, I know that the law says in Deuteronomy 23 that the eunuchs couldn't enter, but there is a servant who is going to serve his people that says the foreigner is welcome and so is the eunuch. And I'm going to Jerusalem to, go, I, I want to go worship that Lord. I want to go worship Yahweh. I want to go worship the servant that made a way for me to have a relationship with Yahweh. And he goes to Jerusalem and he tries to enter the temple. And guess what? 
no go. He can't, he can't enter. Can't enter the temple. Can't, can't worship Yahweh there because of Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. And so he leaves Jerusalem and he's heading back home. And I think he's leaving disappointed. I think he's leaving very disappointed and disillusioned. I thought there was a servant who was going to make a way for me. I mean, for 700 years, by now, surely that servant has come, right? So that's why he made this journey in great hope, and he leaves disappointed and disillusioned. I, I hear frustration in his voice, and I'm reading that into the text, I know. But when he, Philip comes alongside of him, and he says, do you know what, do you understand what you're reading? How can I? I thought I understood it. I thought I could go into the temple and worship. I thought the servant made a way. And now he, I went and I was shut out. So obviously I don't understand it. And it says, Philip began to share with him all those things about Jesus. He used that scripture and began to tell him the good news about Jesus. Now, very quickly, I want to go through some keys to sharing Christ. And the reason why I want to do that is twofold. First, Philip is the only person who's called an evangelist in Scripture, who has that title, Philip the Evangelist. And we see that in Acts chapter 21, verse 8. But actually, this chapter is the only chapter that we have of Philip, Philip's interactions. And I think he, there are some great things that we can learn from him about sharing Christ with others. And when we talk about the good news, there are three main keys to the good news about Jesus. Sin, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Substitution, Jesus substituted himself to pay that penalty for us. And faith, by faith in what Jesus did for us, we can have a right relationship with God. Sin, substitutionary atonement, and faith. Those are the keys to the gospel, okay? Those three things. You've got to have those keys. So what I want to do is tell you some keys just to now, some methodology that we can learn from Philip of how to share Christ with others. So first, meet people where they are, literally and spiritually. These are on your sermon notes, by the way. Meet people where they are, literally and spiritually. Philip, Philip didn't wait for everybody to come to church. He went to them. He, he goes to this person, and, and honestly, he meets him where he is spiritually differently than he met those people in Samaria. Different approaches. There, there are signs and miracles. Here, he just comes alongside him and says, do you understand? Meet, understand where people are. Meet them where they are, literally and spiritually. Second, lead with questions so that you can understand where someone is coming from. Lead with questions. Don't make assumptions. And when I say lead with questions, I don't mean interrogation, okay? But you can lead with questions. And we've talked about leading with some of those questions anyway, like, hey, can I pray for you? That can begin a spiritual conversation. Or, hey, where are you in your spiritual journey? Have you ever had, you know, thoughts about who Jesus is? Who do you think that he is? I mean, these questions, don't make assumptions, lead with questions. A third, share God's word with people at a pace they can absorb. Share God's word with people at a pace they can absorb. Um, if you meet somebody and, and they, don't, they don't know a lot about Jesus, 
Let's not try to explain the Trinitarian union to them, okay? Let's not, let's not start there, okay? Let's start with sin, substitutionary atonement, and faith, okay? We understand that we're sinners. Jesus came to die the death that we deserved, and by faith in him, we can have a right relationship with God and have eternal and everlasting life forever. Guys, that, that's what we share at kids' camp. Kids can absorb that. They, they can understand that. Anybody can ex- understand those basics. We have a lifetime to understand the nature and character of God. Okay, fourth, offer a relationship with God through Christ. You can't just explain the gospel. Offer the gospel. Is, is that something you would like to place your trust? Would you like to place your trust in Jesus Christ? Because remember, it's a free gift. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's a, and a gift has to be received. A gift can't be forced onto someone. Which leads me to my last point. Don't push people to a decision or action they aren't ready for. I can't, you can't push somebody into a relationship they don't want to be in. And this is, I'm not pushing people to come to know Christ because I want to, to uh, say that I did something great. I want people to come to know Jesus because he's their only hope. <laughs> he's all they got. But I can't push people to that. You can't push people to that. But you, you got to offer it. You can't just explain it and, and go, well, I hope you mentally understand. It, it's a decision. It, it's a trust issue. It's a, it's a belief. And Philip doesn't push the Ethiopian eunuch into a decision, but he explains the gospel. And he starts right where that guy is. And by the way, we don't know how much Philip knew about theology about the Trinity, about the hypostatic union, about all of those wonderful things. We don't know how much he knew about that, but he did know how to start with where that guy was and share Jesus. Because that's what it says. It says he started with that scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. We can all do that. Everybody can do that. And on the back of your sermon notes, there is what is called a wonderful offer that tells you exactly step by step. Here is the good news. Tells you those scriptures to use. It's a great guide for you as you encounter people and begin to share your faith about who Jesus is. But speaking of not pushing people into a decision, uh, he doesn't push the Ethiopian eunuch into a decision, but Philip all of a sudden is moved to unexpectedly initiate a new believer into God's family. God is doing something in this Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip is moved unexpectedly to initiate him into God's family. And I love this picture of this this Ethiopian eunuch just jumping at it. And it's like he, Philip offers that to him. And he, this Ethiopian eunuch, they're going through the wilderness and they see this water. Pick it up in verse 36 and 38. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, which, by the way, is a miracle in itself. You saw the Judean wilderness. He sees this water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I mean, God is stirring in him, and he's like, I want to identify with Jesus. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, 
Philip goes with him as a brother in Christ into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This matches everything we teach you about baptism. It's believer's baptism. He has placed his faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, and he is identifying himself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which will have uh, baptisms on uh, July 9th, which I'm really excited about uh, coming up here. If you have not made that public profession in front of the family of God, please, it's time to do that if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. So this is a believer's baptism. It's by immersion. It's baptizo. It's all, it's all the way in. And it's baptized into the family of God. But that's something that the eunuch initiates. I want to do that. Here's some water. What prevents me? Nothing if you place your trust in Jesus, which he obviously had. So Philip goes down into the water and baptizes him. Then it says in verses 39 to 40, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Uh, and the eunuch saw him no more. This is the beam me up, you know, Star Trek, you know, I don't know what is going on there, which by the way, I was talking to somebody, I called it Star Wars, and they were like, that is not Star Wars. Hey, I don't know the difference. I don't really care. So Star Trek, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip found himself in Azotus, and as, and passing through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea, and Caes- that's Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea by the coast. And uh, so basically, they go their separate ways. They go their separate directions. And the eunuch now begins to carry the gospel into Africa, into Nubia, that, that kingdom. And let me tell you how significant that is. Because remember, we're following the pattern of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Do you remember this? Okay, that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, the ends of the earth begin with this passage because this Ethiopian eunuch is now going to carry the gospel into Nubia, which is, I'm, gonna, I'm jumping way back. If you go back into the Noahic family, this, this Ethiopian eunuch is representing the descendants of Ham. Now remember, Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Jephthah. Do you remember this? Japheth, I mean. The three sons. In Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch is going to carry the gospel all the way to his descendants of Ham. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus is going to carry it to the sons of Shem. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is going to send it to the descendants of Japheth. This is how the all the earth will know, and it begins here. All begins with this curveball that God throws Philip, and Philip, through obedience, knocks it out of the park because he just says, okay, Lord, whatever you say. And don't miss, this is so cool, so beautiful. Don't miss this. This spiritual family of faith is going to extend into Africa through a eunuch. This man that could have no biological family by himself now begins the family of faith that exists today, that we're we're talking about today, which, I mean, it reminds me of that Isaiah 56 passage, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give him my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. 
I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And we're talking about today, the, the family of faith never dies. And this is how he begins to spread the gospel to the rest of the world. So let me give you some very quick applications. Because God is going to move in unexpected ways in our lives. And when, when you feel like life has thrown you a curve or maybe God has thrown you a curve and he begins to move you, whether it's literally or metaphorically, spiritually, uh, emotionally, when he begins to move you, I want you to be hopeful. Okay? Be hopeful. God has a plan. But let me give you these applications first. Obey what you know even if you don't know why. Obey what you know, even if you don't know why. That angel doesn't tell Philip everything, but he tells him enough. You know enough to obey. You might not know everything, but you do know enough. And as I was writing down notes to myself, I wrote down uh, these two things. Uh, I usually don't understand the why until after I obey the who. I usually don't understand the why until after I obey the who. And honestly, the why isn't that important when I know who is commanding me. When I go, man, my life's yours. You say go, send me. I don't understand everything. I don't understand why. We all want to know why, but I'll follow you, Lord. So obey what you know, even when you don't know why. Second, invest in everyone as if they're the only one. Invest in everyone as if they are the only one. Let me go back to that why question real fast. I want you to imagine, remember, Philip is crushing it in Samaria. And this angel comes to him and says, hey, God wants to move you. And he wants you to go to that road on the south, you know. And, uh, you know, it's a desert place. I want you to imagine if, if Philip goes, I want to know why. You know, tell God, I'm really a why person. I really want to understand the why, which really just means would you justify yourself to me? And if your justification meets my standards, then I'll obey. But... Nonetheless, imagine he says, I want you to explain your why, God. And God goes, well, I've got this one guy down there that I want you to share the gospel with. And Philip goes, God, one guy down there? Do you see the thousands of people that I am impacting here? You know, God, your why doesn't meet my justification standards. So you know what? I'm going to stay right here. That's, that's not beyond logic. We, we've all thought things like that. I'm really effective right here. And God goes, I got one person for you. You have no idea the impact that they're going to have. No clue the spiritual heritage that is going to begin when you invest in that one. Invest in everyone as if they are the only one. And then finally, witness all the way home. Witness all the way home. 
You know, the way that these two sections in Acts chapter 8 end is everybody witnesses all the way home. The apostles that came to Samaria, it says they go back to Jerusalem, back home, but they witnessed in all the towns of Samaria. Philip witnesses, he found himself in Azotus, and he goes back up, probably the Via Maris, or the way of the sea, probably goes up that way to go settle in Caesarea by the sea. But he witnesses in all those towns all the way home. The Ethiopian eunuch goes home rejoicing, witnessing all the way home. And the gospel spreads. Let me remind you, Christian, you are not home yet. This is not your home. But you can rejoice all the way home. And you can witness all the way home. And you can invite others to come home with you. I mean, that's the end. This is such a short amount of time, so temporal. You can share Christ in the forever home that's available through the good news about who Jesus is, sin, substitutionary atonement, faith, witness all the way home. That might throw you a curb. It might throw someone else a curb. But I'm telling you, God will knock it out of the park. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you move in unexpected ways. Lord, help us to put our trust in you, in the who, and not get stuck in the whys, Lord, because the whys, and they don't make sense. That's, that's us walking by sight, but you've called us to walk by faith. And so, Lord Jesus, we put our trust in you. Lead us, guide us. May we be sensitive to your voice, sensitive to your moving, your promptings, your leadings, Lord God. Move us in ways that bring others into the family, to guide others home, that glorifies you in heaven. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.